You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Have you all been reading any good books lately? I'm talking about the type of book that's not lulling you to sleep, but hard to put down. Well, I have, and I might add it's a bit of a distraction to sermon preparation. I've been reading Laura, Laura Hillenbrand's Unbroken. A true story of mouth-gaping survival, resilience, and redemption. Its central character, Louis Zamperini, was a World War II airman like no other. He has a remarkable story. As a boy, Louis was an incorrigible delinquent. But in his youth, he discovered running. And in just four years, at age 19, he was in the Berlin Olympics and poised to break the seemingly impossible four-minute mile. But all that changed with the outbreak of World War II, and Louis became a lieutenant in the Army Air Corps. He was on a rescue mission when his plane went down in the Pacific And he survived 46 days at sea on a life raft under the constant threat of starvation and hunger, seven rounds of enemy fire, and relentless circling sharks, even sharks leaping onto the raft. The Japanese found him in their waters at half his original weight. The sharks, in hindsight, seemed easy after suffering under the hand of a monstrous psychopath commander at a POW camp who singled him out and brutalized him daily. He managed to survive and was liberated when the war ended. But a greater rescue story happens in Louis's life years later. More on this to come. Our text from Exodus today is also about an amazing rescue. We're in a series right now called Markers, and this Lent we are taking a look at the significant markers of Israel's faith journey. Markers are important. In Eugene Peterson's just-published memoir, he says this, That the life of faith cannot be lived in general or by abstractions. All the great realities we can't touch or see take form on ground that we can touch and see. Markers are the touchstones that point us towards God. Tangible events and moments. And our marker today is a lamb. And we will see that the Lamb makes visible to Israel the promise of God, the promise to rescue them after years of surviving among the circling sharks of its oppressors. If you haven't already, turn to Exodus 12, found on page 51 in your pew Bible. Our text today describes a ritual that is still observed a ritual that we are encouraging UPC small groups to celebrate together during or around Holy Week. It's the Passover, the Seder meal. 
Now, participating in a Seder requires a little bit of work and a little bit of time. But if you have joined a Seder before, you know that it is powerful when you touch and see and taste and experience and recall the story of our redemption starting in the Old Testament and then carrying through, at least in the Christian Haggadah, to the New Testament. As a young girl, I participated in a Seder several times with our family small group, and it made a lasting impression on me. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't even have to serve lamb, although Costco has a yummy New Zealand lamb shank with rosemary and mint sauce that you could use. (laughs) Or you could have roasted chicken or macaroni or whatever. I guess what I'm saying is I encourage you to divide up the labor amongst your small group and go for it. It's worth it. Okay, our text. Exodus 12, and I'm going to go ahead and read excerpts of it to you. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the 10th of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. Verse 6. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Near 12. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night And I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Lord God. Speak to us today through your word. Soften our hearts to your voice. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. The Israelites have been in Egypt for 430 years, a great distance from the promise given to Abraham of offspring and land. And the Israelites have spent most of that time enslaved and in great hardship. We know that two recent pharaohs have found them to be a threat. The first pharaoh, out of fear, ruthlessly oppressed the Hebrews with forced hard labor, but still their numbers increased. So he commanded Hebrew midwives to kill Hebrew boys, but the midwives defied Pharaoh, and Israel grew stronger. Then the same Pharaoh commanded his people to throw all Hebrew baby boys into the Nile. And we don't know to what extent that actually happened, but we do know that one important boy, Moses, was saved. 
And now there is a Pharaoh in place who is refusing to let the Israelites go and worship God in the wilderness. And he has made their, their misery worse by making their labor harder and beating Hebrews when quotas aren't met. It is a cruel life. And they cry out to God. And their liberation begins as God hears their groaning and sees them and takes notice of them and remembers his promise. And he begins to carry it out through his servant Moses. Well, let's take a moment to kind of look at the circumstances around God's rescue of the Israelites. If you have been reading along, I'm not going to recount them all, but up until this point, there have been nine plagues that have settled upon Egypt. And Pharaoh has been warned by Moses about God's impending judgment. He's not really listening, though. Even though Pharaoh's officials begin to fear the word of the Lord. Now, Pharaoh has conceded several times, and then, at the last second, quickly changes his mind. He has tried lowballing God's requests with conditions, Pharaoh's issued threats. In short, Pharaoh plays brinkmanship with God. And this brinkmanship has brutal consequences for everyone, even himself, because Pharaoh whether he realizes it or not, is enslaved too. Pharaoh is enslaved by his fear and by his desire for power. Pharaoh, of course, is the ruler of the people, but in the Egyptians' eyes, he is much more than that. He's considered to be a god. Pharaoh shouldn't then, of course, be threatened by the god of lowly slaves, but yet the God of Israel demonstrates power over all of creation. Power that even his sorcerers cannot match. And it, it is clear from the narrative that Yahweh is Lord over all. But Pharaoh refuses to acknowledge this. And in his enslavement to fear and power and control... He loses sight of what it means to be a good ruler. He doesn't seek the welfare of his people. He lets them suffer. And so Pharaoh chooses the fate of his people. He defies the Lord in spite of multiple warnings and second chances because he is beholden to power and fear. Because of this, Egypt loses their firstborn. Now, I don't know about you, but I find the events of Exodus 12 and those around it strange, horrifying, and full of wonder. Yet as to Pharaoh, I don't think we're as far removed as it might seem. When offered choices between things that bring life or take us closer to death, often out of fear or longing for status or self-importance, or whatever it is, we choose against life for us and for those that we care for. Maybe we have more in common with Pharaoh than we care to admit. Trying the patience of God, taking advantage of it, 
as we deny our own hardness of heart. You see, our sin brings death of another kind. It destroys our personhood, our sense of identity, of everything that God created us to be. Sin isolates isolates us, and it begins to rob us of substance, of a sense of belonging. Because we lose the sense of what we are. We lose sight of being God's beloved, known and loved by the sovereign God. And everything else, whatever idol we put in its place, is a substitute. Satisfying, perhaps for a time, but ultimately hollow and destructive. We've been in those places. Our lives contain stories when we have been adrift. Perhaps that's our story now. Louis Zamperini was rescued adrift on the open sea. He was liberated from the POW camp. And when Louis returned to the U.S., he tried to resume a normal life. He married, and he had a child. But all this was jeopardized as he became enslaved by alcoholism and an obsession to hunt down and kill his brutal captor. He had terrible nightmares and flashbacks and issues with anger that threatened his family. Louis became stuck in a dangerous and narrow reality, drifting away from life. What he needed was a rescue of the heart and mind, a rescue of the soul. When we don't know, or when we forget the grand narrative, the story of our belovedness, our value before God, God's mercy to us, the freedom God gives us, our worlds become narrow and limited. We become enslaved, and we miss the broad place that God has for us and end up adrift on flimsy rafts that aren't fit for the waves of the ocean. Now, without God, we can, on occasion, choose to stop a destructive behavior. We can maybe begin to treat a spouse differently or break free from someone who oppresses us, but the effects are usually temporal. We need a supernatural rescue, one that God orchestrates. Well, God speaks a rescue plan to Israel. I am Lord and will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. God speaks and God acts. And in this Passover event, God's people are saved God makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt, between the Israelites and the Egyptians, as he passes through Egypt and passes over the Israelite firstborn. Israel belongs to God and is Israel's firstborn, God's special people among the nations. God said to Moses, say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. 
Now, of course, God has the right to all firstborn in Egypt and Israel as their creator. Both belong to God. But in this story, only one nation would acknowledge God and would receive the gracious rescue of their children. So how are the Israelites' firstborn spared and the Egyptians are not? Through the blood of a lamb. An unblemished lamb marking the doorways of homes. Now, if you're like me, you would think, well, surely God knows the difference between Egyptian and Israelite households. Why was the blood needed? And verse 13 gives us a clue. It says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see it, I will pass over you and no plague will destroy you when I strike Egypt. Did you catch it? The blood will be a sign for you. The blood isn't really a sign for God. It's a sign for God's people. This is very important. When they look at that sign, they are reminded that God is a keeper of promises, that they can rely on God's faithfulness. And when they put that mark up on their door, they take up the invitation to be faithful participants. By following God's meal with the instruction on the, uh, by God's instruction on the meal and marking the doorways and readying themselves as if they will be freed, Israel participates in being God's firstborn, in taking their place in that right. And in doing so, they step into the reality that they are God's children as they step out of Egypt. This is a central event that shapes God's people for generations to come. This event runs through the rest of Scripture. And while the Passover itself corrected a specific historic injustice, it is much more because every subsequent generation in Israel claims this delivery. They remember it in a meal, a ritual recounting all the gracious acts of God on their behalf. Even if you weren't there, this event shapes your story and your identity too. Because faithful Jews of every generation, and Christians too, must regard ourselves as if we came out of Egypt, liberated by God's great act. The circumstances may be different, and the context But the story, the narrative is the same, whether we're in Egypt or Babylon or Seattle. We celebrate the story of God's rescue, reminding us that when we cry out, that God hears and God acts. This Passover lamb has special significance for us as Christians because it foreshadows another lamb. When John the Baptist first sees Jesus, he says, Here it is. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God who rescues us from death and sin. And as we heard in the Romans text, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the blood of Jesus covers for that sin. God passes over our sin 
as we step out in faith and trust in Jesus. And so we, because of the Lamb, we have a new story. We are God's firstborn, God's special ones. The Lamb provides a way to escape the slavery of sin and move into a new life. And so our ultimate story is a story of freedom. Although Louis Zamperini survived the ordeal of being adrift at sea, although he was liberated from the POW camp, he was not free. He was enslaved to alcoholism and anger that threatened to destroy his family. In 1949, a young Billy Graham pitched a small circus tent in a vacant lot in Los Angeles, bringing a crusade to the city that was unnoticed by the press. And Louis, through a deceptive invitation by his wife, ended up at that tent. But as Graham preached, Louis became more and more agitated, and he got up and left before he finished. He was wrestling with old demons. He came back the second night, and as Graham invited people forward, Louis had a flashback. He was in the war. He was on that raft again. Hot sun over him, endless ocean, sharks circling and dying of thirst. And in his flashback, he remembered the words whispered from his swollen lips, a promise that he had made and had long since forgotten. On that raft, he had uttered a prayer. If you save me, I will serve you forever. If you save me, I will serve you forever. And with that remembrance, Louis' flashback ended And he felt supremely alive as he went forward to receive Jesus Christ. In that moment, he was released from his enslavement as he discovered the goodness and grace of God in Jesus. That night, Louis went home and he threw away all the things that were remnants from his ruined years, including all the alcohol. And he became free of the war flashbacks and the nightmares of his captor. And I want to share with you his experience the next morning after the crusade. Louis dug out the Bible that had been issued to him by the Air Corps and mailed home to his mother when he was believed dead. He walked to Barnesdale Park. He found a spot under a tree, sat down, and began reading. Resting in the shade and the stillness, Louis felt profound peace. When he thought of his history, what resonated with him now was not all that he had suffered, but the divine love that he believed had intervened to save him. He was not the worthless, broken, forsaken man that his captor had striven to make of him. In a single silent moment, his rage, his fear, his humiliation and helplessness had fallen away. That morning, he believed he was a new creation. Softly, 
he wept. Rescue. Redemption. A new creation. A new life. We have a remembrance, too. A meal that places us right in the middle of the ultimate saving event. The Lord's Supper recalls to us the cross, the highest peak of God's redemptive plan, a costly treasure, Jesus broken for me, for you, blood shed for me, for you, and for generations to come. The Lord's table is where we meet the Lamb of God in Jesus and where promises are kept. Jesus broken so we can be healed. Whatever our story, whatever it is we carry with us today, however unfavored or unworthy we feel, it is not so. Because we are God's special ones. Because God knows our stories. He knows our daily lives. And God loves us. And there's one grand story that defines our lives, one event that makes us free, the cross where Jesus died for us. But Jesus' death and resurrection call for a response, call for our participation. Much like Israel, we are called to leave slavery, to walk out of Egypt. Israel's Jesus' death for Israel, for us, as an innocent lamb in our place, has secured our release from enslavement to sin. And we can step out into that free life. Maybe God is speaking to you somehow right now. Maybe you sense God's love meeting you. Maybe you are at a place where your heart is softening to God's faithfulness after being hardened for a while. You're done playing brinkmanship with God. Or you don't like the person you've become, the way you treat yourself and others. Maybe you are ready to take hold of the life that God has for you in Jesus Christ. And release those things. Walk away for those things that enslave you. You can. All you need to do is recognize that you are burdened by sin. And that you want to release that burden to Jesus. Who wants to take it for you. Come into your life and make you new. You can tell God this right now. And then be sure to tell someone else. Because you need people around you as you take a step of faith and trust Jesus with your life. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you lead us into life. That through your son, Jesus Christ, you have passed over sin and taken us as your own. And that you love us so much more than we could ever imagine. Lord, we admit to you that we've tried and we can't do it all by our own strength. We need you in our lives. 
So we confess that you are Lord, and we ask you to be Lord of our lives. In this moment, we give our lives to you and trust in you. Thank you for your gift of love and life to us through the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.